I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's special in between episode was a product of folks reaching out and asking me to do something in relation to my last uh, 10 day silent meditation retreat called Vipassana. Uh, really interesting experience. I will, I go into explanation of it in this. I'm not going to explain what it is now. Um, I brought in a good friend of mine called Ryan Glatt. Ryan is one of the smartest guys that I know in the world of neuroscience. So he's presently working on his master's degree, I think, on the subject um, and works with Dr. Dan Engel, which is another past guest and future to come guest. I'm going to go meet with him in Boulder here in a few weeks. Um, so really great stuff. Highly recommend checking out Ryan's work on the interwebs, and uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, we are brought to you by Bio Optimizers, which is the fanciest, most high-quality probiotic slash enzyme supplement that I have encountered, and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for those guys to be supporting us here. So you can jump on to p3om.com slash align to get yourself 15% off. If you are anything but completely 125% satisfied with that product, send it back, you get full money back. Harm, no harm, no foul. Um, all right, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Here we go. We're going to go into, I'm kind of talking a fair amount in the beginning of this because I'm describing what the heck the Vipassana is. If you guys have any interest in Vipassana or any form of um, kind of like meditation exploration, please reach out at Align Podcast or at Align Band, and I'd love to talk. I'm all enamored by this meditation subject these days. So uh, interesting stuff. I ended up relieving some back pain that I've been dealing with for a while. So pretty fascinating experience. Here we go. Getting into the nitty gritty neuroscience of sitting on your ass for 10 days. Bam. Align podcast. I don't know why I'm, yeah, I don't know why I'm attached to my friends being kind of gay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this is, I uh, imported you here all the way from Century City because I wanted to discuss my experience at this Vipassana meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to do a solo cast or whatever the heck you would call it, where I talk about the thing. And then I th- was thinking it'd be really great because you're so much smarter than I am in the realm of like <laughs> neurology and all these like psychosomatic interesting things that can happen, how that might actually like Western science explanation of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I had some new age hippie shit manifest where like I felt years and years of I'd call it back sensation instead of pain mm-hmm. start to dissipate. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I was at, um, you know, say I was at 90% sensation in quotations, whatever that is, Negatively. essentially, yeah, something like I was like, I would really love to sort that out, but I don't know that I have the tools, mm-hmm. even though if anybody should have the tools, it should probably be like me or someone that's kind of like this. My, my world is yeah. working with people Being and doing all the fitness. different things. Yeah. And, um, I haven't been able to figure it out for like God dang 20 years. So I'd always be like cracking my back and doing this different stuff. So if I was at 90% when I went in, I am now probably at like 10%. Wow. And so going through rolfing school, massage school, different frequency and talk therapists, psychedelic experiences, all the fitness movement stuff. Um, none of that has touched sitting on my ass and when my body asked to move, me respectfully declining. Mm. 
for hours on end. And honestly, I was moving a lot more than probably what I was supposed to. But for me, that was still dramatically less than normal. And so in the experience, and I'll get into what the heck of Vipassana is. It's a 10-day silent meditation. Um, you check out. You don't bring any cell phone, any writing utensil, any books, any anything at all. So all I had essentially was I brought my, my band, the Align Band. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Align Band. Um, and I had like a ball, myofascial ball, and a freaking yoga mat. And other than that, all you do is meditate, eat, and take walks. Um, so the meditation, you've uh, potential of about 10 and a half hours, 10 hours and 45 minutes is what they suggest. I was probably doing more like six to eight or so. Um, and you're just sitting upright. And then even when you're outside of that, you're supposed to observe your body as you're moving through the world. And, uh, the first seven or eight days, <laughs> so pretty much the whole thing was pretty much just torment for me. And then the last couple few days, um, I, every time I sat, it felt like I was like doing, you know, whatever, whatever I, whatever subconscious, you know, whatever was, was going in and doing like clinical surgical work to my body essentially. Right. And so it felt as though the first, the, the initial portion of the, of the 10 day sit was almost like prereq, like preparation, just getting through all the shit, you know? So if you were to buy a house from a hoarder, which I've done, um, and they have just like stuff, rat turds and newspapers. This is actually specifically some of my experience. Um, you start off just cleaning through everything. It feels like you're not making any progress. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, you're like, Oh cool. It's like starting to look like a house. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my sensation with Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. Can you describe the, the meditation when you would sit down, what were you focusing on? What was your breath doing? What, mm. were this, what was the directive? Yeah. So first three days is called Anapana. Um, and during that time frame, all you're doing is you're focusing a hundred percent of your energy into or awareness for anybody that energy makes them, the word energy makes them comfortable, but your, your intention or awareness, um, a hundred percent of it's going into this little, like half an inch by half an inch little square in your nose. So it's so, uh, Gwenka, SN Gwenka, he's the founder guy of not Vipassana, but like the main movement of Vipassana. So you listen to these audio recordings and video discourses of him at night. And he kind of sounds, when you first listen to him, he sounds like a drunk Homer Simpson. <laughs> 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 so when you first go in, you're like, who is this asshole leading? Who is this Gwanka guy? And so, uh, so anyway, so he says, put all of your attention into the nostrils. Pay no attention if it's the left nostril or the right nostril Got it. or both nostrils. So he's just taking you through the All of that. So that's all you do for three days. Nothing else other than listen to this drunk Homer Simpson guy tell you about paying all your attention into your nostrils. Mm. It's genius mm. um, because what that does is it brings the, the acuity of your attention into this one spot. Usually, our attention is being dispersed everywhere. Yeah, or it's global, but it's not specific to one area. Yeah, yeah. but in generally speaking, and, and why meditation, I think, is so powerful for people, is most of us, you know, it's, if we were like a fire hose, we just have thousands of little micro holes throughout the whole thing, so we have no directive. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, he's saying, okay, cut everything out, and all of those holes are patching all of them up, and I just want you to just be nowhere but this one little point on your nose, mm. nothing else. Interesting. Which sounds like the worst thing in the world, but it's actually like genius. Yeah. It's I think. very precisely directed focus and attention. Yeah. 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 Which is cool. Cause it, it's just, it's cultivating that practice of focusing your attention, which is almost not practiced. It's not. 
at all in our culture. Usually it's pra practice externally. You know, I'm going to be on my computer. I'm going to focus on this one thing on my computer or my phone. Oh, yeah. And within that, you have this attention switching or task switching where I'm going between tabs and I'm going between Instagram and text and I'm going right. between this task, check it off, go to the next task. And that's wasting a lot of attentional resources. Yeah. And you feel exhausted at the end of that. And we typically don't do a therapeutic version of focused attention. Mm. Um, and usually it's, it's when I say passive and active, active means moving your body. Passive means you're not moving your body. Right. Um, and usually it's passive externally focused attention, meaning I'm sitting down and I'm focusing exclusively on something outside of me. And you know, we, we don't, it's not just lacking the internal awareness or placing our focus internally, but we don't look at it as regulating our attentional resources. We're like, I'm stressed or I'm not stressed. You know? hmm. And so I think what a lot of what you did was, you know, placing your focus on this one area and you have a lot of stuff going on in your life and usually your attention's spread out like you were saying, right? Yeah. So you're giving yourself a nice window to regulate your attentional resources and all the centers of the brain associated with that, which I think, I think it's amazing. Yeah. I call it Samadhi. So Samadhi is, is, is concentrating the mind. Mm. Um, so Gwenka talks about these three pillars. One is Sila. Sila is, um, like moral correctness, you know, so don't steal or covet. It's all, I mean, it's uh, all the, the dogmas are kind of saying the same thing. I think, you know, like mm -hmm. don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Like yeah. don't, don't, you know, just do good stuff. Don't kill anybody. Yeah. So Sila is the first, part towards this path towards enlightenment whatever um and then the next one is samadhi which is concentration which like you're saying that's true we have a lot of samadhi or concentration towards peripheral stuff mm -hmm. hit the golf ball all yeah. of your attention is going into the golf ball yeah. but very rarely do we practice that samadhi or that concentration towards one point in our body yeah which is kind of an interesting thing or just like uh you know one point externally that's not like a stressful situation so if i was to you know, go outside and use my panoramic vision and focus on the trees and the beauty. Like when you go out in nature, it's so therapeutic to have that panoramic vision. Mm. And uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Andrew Huberman has done research showing, you know, when you have this focal vision, you're focused on something it actually increases your autonomic nervous system stress response, you're mm. sympathetic. And then when you have right. this broad panoramic vision, that's the parasympathetic. And so, you know, it's not like don't, look at something outside your body. It's just therapeutic to look inside, but there's therapeutic ways to do it outside as well. Hmm. And so it's, it's cool to regulate that, but going from internal to panoramic, which is those two things that we're typically not doing. It's usually focally binded vision right in front of us on a screen. And that's where our attention is. And yeah. usually, like I said, you're, you're switching attention and wasting these attentional resources in that, in that state, in that scenario. And uh, I think it's really important to focus your attention on one thing intensively and with intention because that's what drives neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is a two-way street. So staring at the computer and always engaging that sympathetic nervous system, you can have neuroplastic pathways that are generated by that activity even though it's not positive. When we hear neuroplasticity, we think, oh, it's good, it's healthy, right? But in order to have a positive, strong neuroplastic response, we need directed, intensely focused attention. And that releases something called acetylcholine, ACH. And when that is present, it's been shown to accelerate uh, cortical change, cortical neuroplasticity, which is pretty amazing. So like sometimes we're, you know, farting our way through life or we're bullshitting something or half-assing it, right? And we're not giving it our full attention, like exercise. Sometimes we're just like, you know, watching TV or thinking about something else or on Instagram while we're exercising or doing mobility yeah. or meditating. Like we're meditating, but we're not really intensively focused, right? Either because we don't have the guidance or we don't have those strong attentional resources yet. We need to build that up like a muscle. 
And I think it's interesting to be able to strongly focus on something and see the positive effects of that. Mm. And you need that, that acetylcholine to drive that neuroplastic change, ideally positively. I think before we were talking about, well, what's the negative version of that? And usually trauma. Like if you're about to be hit by a car, you're paying attention and right. that can be traumatic. And that's why there's neuroplastic change associated with trauma. It's because of this direct, direct, uh, directed attention that releases this acetylcholine. Obviously there's other stuff going on, yeah. other neurotransmitters, but I think that's uh, interesting research that's, that's been showing up lately. So it's almost like we can choose how deep we groove the neurological paths based off of our intention and one and an explanation. Well, Western attention. Attention. A attention, yeah. Sure, yeah. But sometimes intention can drive the motivation for attention. Right. Yeah, and so if you don't have an intention, it's just like, oh, I'm doing it for whatever. And when you have higher amounts of attention, you end up seeing more of this acetylcholine amongst probably lots of other yeah. whole sequel I mean, the, of the rat studies are when rats are paying, you know, extreme attention to something, they're really motivated. There's more neuroplastic change. That's really cool. Yeah. Hmm. So that's probably what's a piece of what you've been doing there. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. That's, the, that's, the way that's, a, that's interesting. Works. And so, uh, so the next day on day four, just to give people for people that are curious, like what the hell of Vipassana is, um, on day four, they start going through actual Vipassana meditation. Mm -hmm. So Vipassana meditation, the whole experience isn't just Vipassana. Vipassana meditation is a specific practice where you're going through and you are practicing, uh, feeling any sensation, mm -hmm. essentially every square inch centimeter of your body. Mm -hmm. So you start off at the very top of your head and he says, at the top of your head, top of your head. He always repeats himself, which is, I think, a good teaching <laughs> yeah. tactic. Um, and so then he goes down through and then you go to the left side of the head, front of the head, back, and then you go through and explore. It's called, f uh, sons frissons is the, it's like a French term for, I think like sensation or tingles or something like that. Interesting. It's a real term. Yeah. Um, and that's like a pastry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's, but, so, but the these frissons, uh, it's spelled F-R-I-S-S-O-N, if anybody's curious what the hell that is. Um, that's like a term for getting like the goose pimples. Mm. You know, if you're walking in a house and you got like, it's like, it feels like there's a ghost in the room or you know, whatever, you have like some sensation, you'll get the goose pimples all up your back. Mm. That's the term is called, anyway, frisson free doesn't, that completely yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, what I could feel, which is interesting, is I could feel as practicing that I could feel myself able to actually create these, this like frisson sensation, literally every square into my body, except the places that felt more dense. Mm. Um, so for me, that was kind of like my spine area there. That's like the same area that I had more the dense stuff. or more disconnected. Both. Yeah. I think the disconnection leads to density. So if it's connected, density meaning just like a, just like a kind of a fluffy woo woo, um, language sensation, you know, We're like talking about like fascial density or probably, I think they're the same thing. Yeah. I you know, connected to, yeah. So, yeah. But so, so my internal, my internal experience of it was, cause as you're going through, you literally, you know, he's talking about, you know, you get to the point where it's called, I apologize apologize people don't care about these terms. It was called bunga. Hopefully there's like two people that are like, I like the terms, keep doing it. Um, and a bunga is when you're able to go through and feel essential full body dissolution, you know? So it's like, we're all empty space, blah, blah, blah. And so as you're going through there, you're literally feeling that spaciousness in every aspect of your body. And you're doing this for the next seven days of just feeling through, feeling like that electrical, spacious, kind of like combustion-y type sensation of your body. Mm. And it's, I swear to, to, to the Lord, um, it's a practice that you can cultivate and you can get better at. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, and so every day you're doing it, you feel like, oh, I'm a little bit more proficient with feeling my body, feeling a little bit more like empty space 
space. It's yeah. very, very interesting it's, experience. It's building that skill of what we call interoception, yeah. really to feel the inside. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. I also think that, you know, when we talk about density, and you wouldn't describe it as pain, but you were describing it as just sort of sensation, neur neurological sensitivity. If yeah. That's fair. Yeah. If I were, if I had a choice, do you want to feel this or do you not? I would absolutely say, no, I'd prefer not to feel this. Yeah. Or it's so whatever be that more is pleasant than unpleasant. Yeah. Um, so we can't call it pain, but maybe we can speak to some of the, the pain neuroscience that's out there. Um, simply because it has a lot to do with training nervous system sensitivity and uh, pain modulation. Uh, when we say nervous system sensitivity, it's, you know, how resilient is your nervous system or can we trip the alarm and then you have pain or that negative sensation that you don't want. Yeah. And typically when we're in our modern day world, we're upregulating our autonomic nervous system, our fight and flight response, and that trips the alarm in our brains and our peripheral nervous system. And when it trips the alarm, it can cause sensitivity. So what happens when you're in your home and your alarm goes off? You're alert, you're panicked, you're in that fight or flight response. And so when you're in that fight or flight response, how do you think your nervous system is, is going to behave? Hmm. It's not gonna be relaxed, it's not gonna be pleasant. And so typically we're in that space. And you know, you, you've tried all these things, mostly active therapies, yeah. alternative therapies, but this attention focused uh, passive therapy where you're sitting down and placing your attention and you went through 10 days of this. I mean, how many hours a day were you doing it? Um, yeah, like I, I mean, it would vary up to 10 hours. I never did that much. I would just go home and like, you know, twiddle my, my, my dick around and kind of just like, <laughs> you know, like any stimulation, that's what you do. anything, that's what you, do. Um, you know, but it you was, were looking for that upregulation. So I was just trying to upregulate anything I could. And so you were um, forced. I never master. I never masturbated. That's good. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty legit. I, I, I asked the, the, the guy I, re I, I came back with, he's like this super smart. What was his name? Merlin? Merlin. Yeah, a super smart Indian kid, PhD, engineer, like all this really. Mm -hmm. so he's the one that gave me the free sun word, actually. Um, <laughs> the first thing I asked was, I was like, did you spank it? He's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I knew you did. <laughs> I knew you did. Only you would ask that. Of course. I think. Yeah, what else would you ask after that? So you're spending all this time <laughs> in down regulation, ideally, right? And how often yeah. do we do that? We might set aside 30 to 60 minutes for exercise or mobility or meditation, but you're spending this huge amount of dose response time in this downregulated state yeah. with this focused attention. So not only are you in this parasympathetic, this rest and digest for a long period of time, it's like running a marathon versus going for a 30 minute run, right? right. You ran a, a mindfulness marathon basically. And so the attention is focused there, which you know, carries out that neuroplastic change, but you're, you're carrying out that neuroplastic change under conditions of parasympathetic. And you, you probably adapted to that and the alarm is not going to trip off in that environment. And so you're not going to have that pain or negative sensation. I would argue a lot of that sensation was neuroplastic change in your brain as well, I bet. where it's that alarm system, right? And what do you do when you feel that? Oh, I got to go do something. Right. I got to go do something instead of sitting with it. You feed the fire. You feed the fire. Yeah, that's right. And that's what most people do. And they they go about these. Th they might be doing the right things coming from the right mentality of, oh, I got to go to physical therapy and I got to go get a massage and I got to go meditate and I got to go work out. But they're usually these smaller dose responses. And it's usually done with like this hectic attitude which is like the alarm's been tripped off and you've got to close the door and reset the alarm and call the alarm company. And like you're, you're in this fight or flight. And that's what most people are doing when they're seeking out these therapies, let alone doing them for long enough. And the way I like to look at that is there's passive and active and there's local and global, right? Passive is when you're not moving 
and then active is when you're moving. So you did a lot of walking meditation. Yeah. That's active mindfulness. Then you did passive mindfulness. And so you had a good balance of both. A lot of people bias towards one or the other where a lot of people just sit and meditate, but they won't do Tai Chi or Qigong or walking meditation or anything like that, where maybe that's needed for your brain and body. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. We don't have to get into why, yeah. but understanding you want to balance it both. And then there's local and global, which is just like sitting, being aware of your breath is more global, but intensively focusing your, your attention on your nose, for instance, or this one part of your body is localized, right? Yeah. But you're passive. And so walking meditation, that's global. But if you're like doing some massage, self-massage to an area or self-myofascial release to one area and you're moving your body to get the ball digging in there and moving your leg to massage it and move the muscles and get this pin and stretch, that's active, but it's also localized. And so to have a balance, I think good autonomic nervous system regulation, regulating that fight or flight versus rest and digest is balancing the active, the passive, the local and global. And if people take a people listening to this and ourselves take a good look at mostly what we're doing, you're going to find yourself biased in these categories. You're like, oh, I'm not doing any active global or I'm not doing any passive global. Maybe I'm active always doing something, but I just need to chill. Like you were talking about repose, mm -hmm. action versus repose. And sometimes sitting back and smoking a cigarette with your shoulders open and relaxing is that passive global. And sometimes not a lot of people do that. A lot of us are upregulated, being entrepreneurs, trying to do this and that. And just, right. So uh, I didn't mean to ramble on that, but no, no, it's, it's really okay. uh, categorically understanding what your autonomic nervous system needs. And it seems to me between the attention focused uh, neuroplastic chains that you experience, plus the deep autonomic nervous system regulation, plus this interesting ratio of passive and active mindfulness I thought was really interesting. And so maybe you're getting a variety of that versus during the week, you might just squeeze into mindfulness meditation, you know, two to three times a week right. um, for 30 to 60 minutes. It's one particular type. Yeah. So you gave yourself a lot of variability than what you were used to. The other thing that I think is interesting in relation to the walking this is coming up is it feels like a, a really like a, a whole it's like a really scientific system, this Vipassana stuff, because it's like you're going through and you're doing this, you're opening yourself up with this attention, you know, and, and starting to kind of set the stage for this neurological change. And then in between that, your your activity is, is going for a walk, which from my understanding, going for a walk every like 20, 30, whatever minutes helps consolidate memories and any type yeah. of neurological change. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. You're like just going into this like rehab, mental rehab yeah, center, essentially. Yeah, do the work and then cement it in. Do yeah, the work, do the work and now integrate the hemispheres and kind of get on the whole, you know, it's like yeah. that walking feels actually really valuable. And at the same time, I wonder what would happen if I just sat for 24 hours. Well, also during you the know. walking, was your attention focused somewhere? Or was it just yeah. kind of loose? Like, no, I mean, it was both. On? Sometimes, I mean, honestly, sometimes I'd go and just like talk to myself and I'd do like little stand up comedy routines, just <laughs> bullshit. It wasn't funny. Nobody was laughing. But you nonetheless, me, you and me both. Yeah, I would just go <laughs> around and just like make stupid, ridiculous jokes by myself as I'm like walking around the desert. So stupid. <laughs> um, you know, but it was it was just some like having somebody to talk to, I guess, like talking to myself. Mm. Um, you know, but with that, I was also very conscious, depending the depth of the meditation, sometimes it was like it would go real deep and be really cool. Mm. Um, and then that I'd almost not want to come out of that. So the walk would be very slow and just feeling the weight of my body in each foot and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And you notice stuff, man. It's really cool. You notice like, 
uh, there was this little rabbit that would cruise through, and the rabbit was like amazing. He was like my best friend. Like these little lizard, iguana, reptilian, whatever creatures, um, they would like talk shit sometimes, and they'd like kind of like posture up because it's like it's my bush. Yeah. And I'd have all these interesting dynamics with all these critters around there because when you cut down so much stimuli, normally I just walk past a lizard and not give a shit. Yeah. yeah but now I'm like it's just me and the lizard. All of a sudden, I have so much more attentional focus. It's like in these little worlds. So that's kind of what well, it's I, like panoram- what I, what that I would panoramic do. Ver- vision that you're experiencing, and they're focusing in what you notice and observe, which yeah. is you know go, what going through nature is. Yeah. When you look at animals, that's how they behave for a reason, right? Typically, we're ignoring those because our nervous systems aren't regulated. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting is you know while you were doing that walking mindfulness or meditation. Um, it doesn't sound like the whole time your attention was as intensely focused like it was on your nose when you were doing the seated mindfulness exercises. And there's, there's a couple brain networks and by brain networks, I mean, there's, you know, not just one center of the brain, but like three parts that work together. One's called the executive network and it's like the CEO of your brain. And that's for that attention focused stuff. So when we were talking about the laptop and focusing on your nose, that's that intensely, uh, directed attention. And so your executive network has a bank of these attentional resources that it's hmm. spending based on what you're paying attention to. Then you have your default mode network, which is what it sounds like. It's when you're in this default state and that's the daydreaming kind of talking to yourself, not specific attention, just kind of walk. That's why it's therapeutic to like just relax at the end of a long day. Cause you've been just like piping this executive network, right? Yeah. With attentional resources. So you build the credits back up. Yeah. It's like you're spending, 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 and then it's a credit card and you're like, okay, let's like fill the bank back up. But a lot of people don't fill it up in a healthy way. They're like just sitting down watching TV or doing like drinking. Like, yeah, or worse. Yeah. They're doing stuff to get out of the executive network in a non-healthy way. And then there's another network that regulates the switching between executive and the default mode. And that's called the salience network. And it's like the light switch. And usually the light switch is like rusty and weak, like when someone paints over a light switch, right? And people can't switch between the two very well, and that's why they struggle with stress regulation. Hmm. Uh, But mindfulness has been shown to increase that salient strength, that response to switch between the two faster, right? And so you're regulating your attentional resources, you're switching between the executive to the default in a healthy way, and then you're strengthening the salience to switch between the two. And you may have found, like you said, it was sometimes hard to switch between the two. It's because you're working that salience muscle Hmm. and you're switching between those networks. So those are the three networks. And if you ask people that are mostly in fight or flight, they're usually in executive and then not getting into default mode in a healthy way. And so like for me, that's what I focus on. Like, why am I so stressed? I'm not like, what is a healthy way? It's like, what's like a couple examples. Yeah. A healthy way to get into your default mode network is like, you know, going for a walk like we talked about, but not like thinking about anything, just letting your mind wander, going for a run. Yeah. Because like people always say, Oh, I love to go for a run and just let my mind wander. How about walk barefoot versus heels? Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes if you're adapted and you're okay with that, right? Like yeah. if you're not, if you're walking on like outside and there's dangerous shit, be careful. Right? right. Um, and if you're walking a long distance in your feet and lower legs aren't adapted and you can, there's injury risk, but let's say it's safe, right? Totally walk barefoot because there's more receptors in the foot that can stimulate more of the, uh, the primitive side of your brain. Hmm. Um, and there's even some research maybe hinting at the prefrontal cortex where that executive function is that that executive control network actually lies of that being improved yeah. when walking barefoot. So and balance of the, the dope. This is something that you may or may not, I'm sure you know more 
as a whole about it than I do, or uh, you know, that's why we're that's why we're doing this. But um, there's an association of people wearing high heels to schizophrenia that I mentioned a bunch of times in here, um, because that dorsiplantar flexion of the ankle is actually associated to associated to the so the dopaminergic yeah. system and in the, the brain. Ganglia and stuff yeah. Like that. yeah. So if you don't have that full functional range of motion in your body as you're moving, that actually ends up impeding your capacity for release of this whole sequela of neurotransmitters, which is right. pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Which which is fair to say for movement of any parts of the body. Uh, I don't want to say that barefoot walking is like this cure-all, yeah. but it's definitely something that people could do more of. Yeah. Um, it's just stacking variables. It is. If you're going to yeah. walk anyway, you know, why not just stack as many like if you if you have an hour to do some stuff why not invest as many variables into that as possible yeah. as opposed Look. to like i'm just doing the one thing it's yeah. good it's like well That's you could right. you could compile six really rad therapeutic things into that hour barefoot walking panoramic vision breath switching between executive and default mode network while you're walking uh, walking, ha having an objective, walking in nature versus walking on cement in a kind of suburban area. I mean, those are all yeah. some variables. And to answer your question, another way to get into that default mode network, sometimes it's just what do you enjoy doing that you typically don't do? Hmm. Like for me, it's a hike. I know we're still on the walking thing. I'm not saying walking is the only way, yeah. but for me, it's hiking, not just walking, hiking, like being in nature or watching a movie. Like I love movies. I'm a movie fanatic. And sometimes it may not be like the healthiest thing, but if I'm like 90% of my day is an executive network and I need to get in default mode, a movie's great. Yeah. Even if it's not healthy, it's healthy if it gets you out of the network you're biased in. And so even these, what we might call non-healthy behaviors might be great. Like what if you go out and you do drink with your friends, but you're getting socialization and you're not stressed the frick out, right? Yeah. So that could technically be healthy. I'm not suggesting that long-term, but things you just enjoy and things that restore the feel-good hormones like oxytocin, serotonin, stuff like that, that usually will get you into default mode. So moving along with the, cause I don't want this, this is, this is a short in between episode, whatever yeah. middle episode. Yeah. Um, so moving along with that, I love all of that, by the way. Thank you so much for all that. Yeah. All them, them deets. Um, so along the way towards the end, I'm curious. So the way that from the Eastern perspective, which is what I was kind of more just like dwelling in for the last, the last, you know, 10 days or whatever, they refer to these sensations that come up in your body as being, they call them sankara. Mm -hmm. Um, samskara is another way to pronounce it. Um, and there's, there's, there, I think it's like a poly language in Sanskrit or something like that. Anyway, so sankara, samskara, if you look this stuff up, you'll see it. And they would say that these like drives for you to check your phone or like greed or, you know, anything that like drives you to go on to the next phase of your day. You know, I need to do, 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 do. Yeah. Um, they would say you're sitting with that and those little pains are essentially these sankara or samskaras coming up. And your body's kind of like revolting and saying, no, like I want to, I want to go. So right. we're going to make your knee hurt. And we're going to make right. your back hurt. And we're going to make your ear hurt. Create sensations that are associated with a threat response. Yep. Yeah. And so what they're saying is, is, is to essentially remain equanimous to all of these sankaras. And I'm saying that, you know, just cause that's the language that they use. Take, take, take it or leave it. Yeah. Equanimous. That sounds like a word I want in a t-shirt. Oh, it's legit. Equanimous. Stay equanimous, bro. What does that mean? That's a, um, equanimity to stay. Um, so either, you know, you're take it or leave it. I'm totally, okay. I'm totally indifferent. So practicing not being attached. Yep. It's, it's an attachment. Yeah. So, so, um, the other thing that they say again is, is Anicca. Anicca means, um, impermanence or change, you know, so every type of, uh, uncomfortable, uh, sensation that you have or amazing orgasmic 
you know, star filled sensation. Sure. I'm still a Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Yeah. You know, I'm still like, this is impermanent. You know, I, you know, oh man, I lost 50 grand. A Nietzsche, 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 no worries. Oh, I made 50 grand. A Nietzsche, 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 no worries. Not attached. Not attached. So I want the t shirt, I want it to say Equanimous AF. Yeah. Equanimous no, that's AF. legit. Yeah, that'd be, that would be, that would be good for possible. That's like a JP Sears thing. Yeah, you, that'd be good. That. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk to JP about that. Yeah. Um, you know, so anyway, so that's that's essentially what what they're suggesting is you, you know, Gwanka, Vipassana, Buddhism, the whole thing, is you feel these less than optimal sensations pop up. They are this energetic kind of stir deep down, and it's coming to the surface and saying, "Feed me," you know, if I'm a parasite, feed me more sugar, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be. Um, and you're saying, "Nope, sorry, we're starving you out." And you sit in it, and then eventually it goes, oh, okay, cool. And it's very interesting. It will literally change shape, change temperature, change position. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit with an annoying pain for 25 minutes, and all of a sudden this, it'll just, I literally felt this. Very interesting. It would feel like this warm, hot, searing sensation at a point, and then all of a sudden it would like, it would like dissolve and get big. And I would literally feel, this happened one very tangibly, but multiple times kind of sort of, it would feel as though it was like, a probe or something like that and it would go like up my spine and like like over the side of my ribs or into my shoulder that's pretty freaking interesting so i have a couple ideas behind that all right the first one which is what do you call these sensations that that pop up uh they call them sankaras like sankaras are coming up yeah so um there's this article called the neuroscience of apasana that i was reading yesterday and it was about system one and system two thinking and system one's that reactive mentality that reactive thinking hmm. which is the samskaras yeah okay so or samskara who's, who's, yeah okay so samskara comes up that's system 1 which is basically my reactive primitive response and that's mostly what we're in right is i'm just going to react and i may not be very mindful of how i react but it's this automaticity of reaction that usually is lacking automaticity you just raised the ante bro I did, that's another Damn. another shirt is automaticity, automaticity. as fuck equanimity <laughs> automaticity that's some smart shit it's getting in there man it's getting in there and then you have system two which is the mindfulness response which is what you were practicing and the system two is the higher level centers of the brain those cortices that are more focused on mindful regulation and the, a mindful response right And then there is actually research showing that Vipassana helps to regulate the pain response. But the mechanism is one, this sort of analgesic effect. The second, well, another mechanism they were explaining was how it can uh, basically reduce the sensitivity of your nervous system. And that's probably why you're feeling these like peripheral nervous system changes. And the peripheral nervous system is all the nerves outside the brain, like going through your body. And these sensations that we're feeling is probably like us switching between system one to system two and like all the benefits of Vipassana kind of creating this, this nervous system change to sensitivity. Hmm. And we're just experiencing the melting and shifting and this, it's like watching, have you ever seen like nature on a time lapse? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what's happening when you're doing these types of things. Like you're getting these nervous system changes and flowers blooming and shrinking and just all these changes in sensation. Hmm. And the interest of that also creates the directed attention and then builds that interoceptive ability, that muscle to sense what's within. And I think it's cool to integrate the neuroscience of that and bring it into like the simplistic words that they're using, which is what they're you know famous for is just simplifying it and making it a felt sense rather than a, a logical sense. Right. Yeah. 
but I think it's cool how the logical and the felt sense come together in, mm. in experiences like this. So would you have any perception on what it feels like and the way that they describe it as, as you start off on a more superficial layer of whatever, some, some Scott or whatever the, the stuff that's popping up. Um, it feels as though, and I tangibly felt this, um, it feels as though like as you clear that layer out, it, goes a little bit deeper and then older shit comes up to the surface and then that's like okay now we're dealing with this and you clear that out and a lot of people after vipassanas have had like pretty gnarly experiences like, like cathartic s- releases to the point of like feeling suicidal and depressed for a month whoa like i know several people that after vipassana mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like oh we stirred like there was some deep shit lodged in there kind of keeping the whole deck of cards together and you spent 10 days kind of ruffling the feathers till now it's like ooh that stone that totally sucked mm. um you moved it mm. <laughs> now you're like oh like existential nightmare like you have to yeah. figure out how to reform your life sure well a lot of Pretty people create these compensations of going about life um and it, sh- it can show in the brain and you know the amygdala is that you know res- that emotional response area right and usually people with trauma or stress or um pain have increased uh, size of the amygdala yeah. and meditation has been shown to actually shrink the amygdala and grow the hippocampus that part responsible for learning and memory and uh, this is probably a better question for dr dan angle yeah um but who i'll have back in like uh two weeks i'm gonna go see dr dr dizzle in yeah. boulder colorado so you, you can ask him more of the neuroscience behind this but you know it's got to have something to do with that amygdala response and maybe that enlarged amygdala was their compensation that they were relying on hmm I don't know. That's probably, we're probably more entering the psychological realm, like the psychosomatic trauma therapy, the Peter Levine stuff, which I'm not super well-versed in, but we do know that. Was that Waking the Tiger? Is that his uh, his famous book? Peter Levine is, yeah, I think it's Waking the Tiger. Waking the Tiger Within, something like that. Something Tiger. It's Waking the Tiger, I think. I think that's right. We'll look. It's a really good book. Um, And then Stephen Porges' work on the polyvagal theory, polyvagal theory, Jill Miller is super into that right now and how to use that with, you know, self-care and moving the body and breath. People are so good. There's so many good people. There's so many good people. It's good shit. And they're all revolving around this autonomic nervous system concept and being able to regulate it. And I think that's the epitome of what we're talking about in a positive way, which is how can we stay regulated? Hmm. How can we experience this, this central nervous system and this physical homeostasis that we have to do something to get ourselves in? Yeah. And I think it's cool, all those fields coming So would you attribute, attribute, attribute the uh, less than what I would consider to be comfortable sensations in the body um, and that, that down regulation mm-hmm. of them being mm-hmm. a down regulation of say like the amygdala or is it like related? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. If there's enough stimulus, yeah. If there's enough stimulus. So like my doing mindfulness meditation for an hour and then expecting those changes to come about Probably that's not. unlikely, but like these dose responses are like, you know, two to three times a week for four to six weeks. Yeah. That's like the research on mindfulness based stress, stress reduction. Uh, or even exercise, like increasing the hippocampus. Like it's some, sometimes it's like six weeks doesn't work as well, but eight, work, eight weeks works really well. And so just like a workout program where you got to do it for like, you know, four to six weeks or eight weeks before really seeing those results that are permanent changes, it's very much the same concept. So you're just turning down the volume on the alarm setting, essentially. And you're practicing it where it's like you're conditioning it 
to do that. Yeah. It's the, it's two things. It's the operant conditioning, like the Pavlov's dogs thing, yeah. but it's also the, the Hebbian theory, which is neurons that wire together, fire together. Those are two of like the high level theories that are, are probably at play in those mechanisms. Hmm. Yeah. God damn. God damn. That's good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> You're real good. Um, so, uh, Ryan and I are naked right now, by the way. We are. We're <laughs> We're playing a game that's where we we're can't so, look below the that's shoulders. Why we're so complimentary of each other. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's 30, 37 minutes. So right. that's that's already. Well, I'd hate, that's I'd hate already to go to thirty nine. Be, beyond beyond the thing. Yeah. So yeah. So anywho, I recommend folks start a mother flipping meditation practice. I know I have a feeling a lot of people front like they meditate more than they actually do. Um, only because I was one of those people, and um, not that I would like lie about it, but I'm like talking about how valuable meditation is, and then I'm like, eh, last time. I meditate was like three weeks ago. Yeah. It was for like seven minutes. Yeah. Um, I do that all the time. I think it's yeah. really important to do that thing. Like if you really give a damn about you or, you know, from their perspective, like the community and everything, cause mm-hmm. you affect everything around you, every conversation that you have, it's not just between you and that person, your impact on that person ends up affecting their effect on the other people. It's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem, man. Yeah. You know, so by you t- doing the, doing the damn due diligence to start calming the alarms in your own amygdala and whatever the terms are um i think there's like some serious like one love bob marley global impact shit there probably but then also balancing that active passive local global making sure you have healthy variability because a lot of Mm. people i've seen a lot of people do just one thing and the best one's the one you do but also once you've established some sort of foundation whatever if it's active passive global passive it doesn't matter what it is but once you've established a foundation of some practice expand out into those other quadrants that we were discussing, Mm. getting that healthy variability. And that's true for movement. That's true for your social life. I mean, that's true for a lot of things. Probably only the thing it's not true for is probably business. You want to be focused in business, right? You don't want to be all distracted. But variability for health, I think, is what we're discussing in terms of this active, passive, local, global conversation. And also knowing that one of the things that Gwenka mentions in there, um, I'm going to be like super quotatious about Gwenka for probably the next like few weeks because I'm all hot and bothered about him. but he mentions with like a practice, a meditation practice in this case, he says, you know, the old allegory of the guy that's looking for water and he digs down 10 feet and it's like, ah, this is, I don't like this spot. And he does that like a thousand times. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's another guy that's just like, I'm just going to keep going. And he gets down to like a thousand feet and finally it's like, oh, cool. We did it. Yeah. You know, so I, I think there is some type of like value to that allegory in your own practice. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool, man. Cool, dude. 39 minutes, 52. We did go to seconds, almost 40 set 40 minutes. All right. Um, how do people learn more about your stuff? How do people locate you in Uh, the world? Well, my stuff is all about health neuroscience. So I'm a health coach, personal trainer, body worker. And, uh, right now I'm pursuing my master's degree in applied neuroscience to better explain the health activities we do on our own to see how those impact our brain. Uh, my area is primarily how exercise affects the brain. Um, but people can find me at somatic, S-O-M-A-T-I-Q dot C-O. And my IG handle is gl- at glat, G-L-A-T-T dot somatic. Cool. You're like an Andy Galpin and where you post a lot of really interesting studies and like examples and stuff on your, your socials that I really appreciate. He, he's way smarter, but my whole thing is, uh, different smart. You guys different are both, smart, yeah. you dig your holes in different directions. Yeah. yeah. My, my thing is like Max Lugaver talks about ingenious foods, nutritional psychiatry. And I want to bring about kinesiological psychiatry. How do we use different restorative and movement practices and exercise modalities to address different parts of the brain and 
therefore help people with things like depression, anxiety, dementia, concussion, and also just what we call the neurotypical population, which is people like us. No one's neurotypical. Neurotypical. I like that. All right. Boom. Over and out. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in that episode. If you have interest in learning more about Vipassana meditation, I don't have any association with them. You can check out uh, dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org, and get yourself started exploring a deeper meditation practice. It's all the rage these days. And I should add, I wrote a blog article on my experience. It goes a little bit deeper into my specific experience on the uh, Vipassana meditation. So you guys can check that out at the website as well, linetherapy.com. It's under writings. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Um, if you guys want to support this podcast, you can grab yourself an Align Band on uh, aligntherapy.com or on Amazon. Just type in Align Band, it'll come up. Um, and it is a heavy-duty resistance band with a door anchor and then comes along with a video guide on how to use that little sucker. Uh, really great stuff. I that was the one thing that I brought along on my retreat and I bring on any traveling trip so I highly recommend that thing obviously um, and if you guys are called to purchase any crap on Amazon por favor utilize our Amazon link on the top right hand sidebar of the podcast and blog page on the website so it just says Amazon I don't know Amazon affiliate or something like that click on that bookmark it and then uh, when you buy crap on Amazon we get like five or six percent of that purchase thanks for using iTunes thanks for being you doing your damn thing all right have a good rest of your week bye